0: Open off and smiley century stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win. Bo Rogue, Vo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and Inglis. An 11th hour exemption from the New South Wales government will allow 10,000 race-starved fans to attend Royal Randwick on Saturday for the Tab Everest. It's doubtful that any horse race in the world has ever captured the public imagination in such a short time. Slot holders have been clamouring for the best credentialed sprinters for many weeks now, resulting in a 12-horse field of stunning quality. The Everest will be supported by the rapidly ascending Kosciuszko and Group 3 highlights like the Craven Plate and the Sydney Stakes. The 2021 Everest crowd at Randwick will be only a quarter of what it would have been in normal times, but it's better than nothing. Only a chosen few among Australia's training ranks have the luxury of unlimited spending power at the yearling sales And access to the most fashionable of bloodlines. The rest have to do the best they can with what they've got. Australian racing abounds in capable horsemen and horsewomen who can bring the best out of the right horse at the same time handling the long hours and the inevitable disappointments. One such trainer is 57 year old Kylie Gavinlock, who for almost 37 years has been delivering a very professional job from her Gosford stables. Testimony to Kylie's ability and to the respect in which she's held is the fact that some of her current owners have been with her from the outset. As a commercial trainer, she's made the most of limited opportunities to win close to 300 races, and as a pre-trainer, her work is widely acknowledged. By her own admission... She was tardy to begin in the motherhood stakes but is currently delighting in the riding skills of her 17-year-old daughter Skye whose dad is former top-flight rugby league forward Terry Regan. Kylie and Terry live on a 75-acre property at nearby Summersby where they spell and pre-train horses while their 20-horse team of racehorses is stable close to Gosford Racecourse. Here is a lady who's been hooked on horses, all kinds of horses, since she was a toddler growing up on the Central Coast. It's great to welcome Kylie Gavinlock to our podcast. Thanks for your time, Kylie. Great to chat.
1: You're welcome, John. You're welcome.
0: You know, mate, you're in one of the toughest games on earth, but I don't think you'd swap it for quids.
1: No, it gets into your blood. Um, it, it's it's not an it's not an easy game. It's got it's got very rewarding days, and it's got some very hard days, more hard than rewarding. But I suppose we push on, waiting for the rewarding days.
0: Kylie, I seem to recall an unconfirmed report some years ago that Gosford was going to close down as a training centre, and that local trainers would have to make alternative arrangements. Now, not only has training continued there, but Racing New South Wales is currently looking at constructing more than one, several double-storied barns. Have you got any more news on that?
1: Um, no, it's been um, – they have the land there waiting. Um, I don't. I haven't heard if they've put in the development applications as yet, um, but that's sort of the idea. We've just – in the process, in the next two weeks, our new poly track will open. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're spending money there, but yes, we were given, we fought it for a long time and then we were given 12 months to find somewhere new, mm. um, which being the only trainer at Gosford that actually owned their own stables left me in a situation whereby we looked to see if there were any stables vacant at Wyong mm. um, any at Newcastle and there weren't. And, yeah. um. I didn't really want to leave the coast. All my family live on the coast. My 87-year-old mother lives with me. Mm. Um, and so we thought the only way that we might do it is maybe have to buy a property. So I had to sell the stables. And with the um, it had been put out there in the media and everything that the track would close in 12 months. So a set of stables is not worth a great deal of money if there's no training track. No. No. So um I approached the race club and they agreed to um purchase it and then lease it back to me until mm. such time as I could you know purchase a property and um mm. and um and move you know some move my horses somewhere else um mm. or travel maybe you know to Wyoming while we were you know when the track closed um mm. since then I sold that to them and I lease it back, which is a bit of a shame because I sort of sold it for a lot less than I would get it, you know, get for it now if I was to sell it with all the development that's supposed to happen. But um, such Mm. is life, and you move on. And Mm. we moved up to a property at um, Summersby, which is sort of too far to travel to and from the track, Mm. Um, but it's a great lifestyle. And my daughter rides stock horses and that sort of thing, so Mm. it enables us to spell our own horses. So even though it's a small You know, we're training 20 horses, which is only a small number. Mm. Um, It it enables me to then, you know, to have them here spelling and, you know, to watch them right through so that I can have them at the weight I want them and, you know, do a few extra things that you want to do, you know, for your own horses and and that sort of thing. So that suits us. And I've been really blessed with the owners that I've got, and a lot of them I've got through pre-training for them previously from the bigger trainers, um, and then I've ended up with them. And mm. you know, I've got Greg and Donna Kolovos, who owned Piero. Mm. And I, I have a lot of their retired horses up here, which I care for. Good on you. Um, because the Colavos mm. is one of the so few in the racing industry that whether they buy a horse as a yearling or whether they breed a horse, mm. they look after it for the rest of its life.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. They're the stories we need to hear. You know, apart from having the uh, spelling and pre-training benefits with that property, which is called Zagalia Park, you've also got the luxury of being able to slip one of your racehorses up there for two or three days after a hard run. Must be good for fillies and mares, Kylie.
1: Yeah, I think they all benefit from it. At the end of the day, they're, they're, they're animals, they're horses, if you can, a lot of times keeping their head right is as big a thing as keeping their body right. Mm. Um, you can have a beautiful horse who's healthy and sound, but if his head's not in the right place, he doesn't want to be a racehorse. Mm. So I think I think it's a very important thing to be able to keep their head right, and that seems to be able to do it.
2: Mm.
1: It also helps their stomach too because of the, you know, having the grass to pick at. Um, we mm. keep it fairly green and and mowed and manicured, so mm. it's um it's good for that too. I think it's
0: beautiful. It's well documented that there's a waiting list a mile long for stabling on city tracks. Now, this is probably a move by Racing New South Wales long term to entice metropolitan trainers to consider moving out of town. You know, it's possible a few years down the track, Kyle, you won't be able to move in the joint.
1: Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to think that because um, the Central Coast is a pretty amazing place for a lifestyle. Mm. I mean, we all have to work for a living, but we also have lifestyles. Um, and you can be 15, 20 minutes from the track at either Terrigal, or Bomberal, mm. um, living right on the beach with all your cafes and things and still be at the track in 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you, can, you could buy a lovely home out there. For a lot less than you can buy an ordinary one in Sydney. Mm. So I think the lifestyle push should, should and will bring some of those trainers out here. Like I know that they've they've put in application to build more boxes at Scone mm. and build more boxes at Cessnock and apparently a, a poly track there. Mm. Um, but I don't think the life I don't think the lifestyle there
2: no.
1: is the same as it is on the coast. And the other thing, like we went to. Randwick yesterday, as you know.
0: Yeah, how long?
1: It, it's an hour.
0: One hour from your One stable. Hour
1: yesterday it took us and that was yeah. not that was sitting right on the speed limit. Mm. You know, so we're so close to Sydney.
2: Yeah. We're
1: an hour and fifteen from Newcastle. Um, yeah. now it's about two hours five minutes to Musselbrook. Mm. You know, so you're in the middle of everywhere because it doesn't matter whether you're me, Peter Snowden, Gay House, everyone mm. has fast horses and everyone has not so fast horses. Mm. So the fact that now, especially now that the prize money's so good, the city trainers are, are really hitting the country tracks. Mm. So to be close to them, I think that's another bonus for them.
0: Mm. I know you lost your dad a few years ago, Kyle, but mum, you mentioned this in fact, that mum lives with you nowadays and helping out as she always has. She's 87 and as fit as a fiddle.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. Um, I mean, her body's 87, her brain's 27. <laughs> um, I'd back it against anyone. She still yeah. helps me, you know, she still helps me with my book work um, and her mind's as sharp as anything. I mean, she's prob- she probably couldn't, <clears throat> you know, jog up to the paddock, but she gets around out on the farm here wandering around with the the dogs and walks quite a bit, but yeah, um, yeah no, she's fantastic, and um, I couldn't have done I couldn't have done what I've done without mum.
0: Mm, and we're talking about Margaret, aren't we?
1: We are Margaret. Yep.
0: You started in pony club as a kid, didn't you?
1: I did. Yes. Yeah. Right at um, Tall Timbers Pony Club at Arimba. Wasn't that long ago? Maureen Walker, who was one of the founders of the club, <coughs> passed away. Ah. Um, but, yeah, no, right through pony club and showing and yeah. that sort of thing. But we didn't have a lot of money and that's a pretty expensive sort of a sport. As mm. Everyone knows having a horse is an expensive sport. So um, that led to, you know, I mean, I had a love of the animal and that's all I wanted. I wanted to be able to do something mm. um, something with the animal as a job so that you're really never going to work any day of your life.
0: Oh, exactly. Well, after some time in the show ring – you made the inevitable transition into writing track work and one of your very first employers was the remarkable veteran Albert Stapleford. You tell me Albert is now in his 90s and still turns up at track work from time to time.
1: I spoke to him yesterday morning, he's okay.
0: 91,
1: mm. um, and um, I, he said to say hello. And, oh, great. Um, yeah no he's um yeah, he's been around forever and there's not much he doesn't know. Um that's for sure. unfortunately, his body's failing him, his mind's not, but his body's failing him, mm-hmm. um as so often happens with the older generation, but he's still one of the original old generation um, trainers.
0: And what a smart old trainer he was, Kylie, I'm sure you've heard the story. Many of our listeners will have heard the story. About the day Albert engineered a gigantic betting plunge at Rose Hill with a horse called Rutherford, after whom his stables were named at Gosford, got the money. I think it was about 100 to 1 into 9 to 1.
1: Yes, that's it. That's what it was.
0: <laughs> You've heard the yeah, story. That's the, yeah.
1: original, that's the original block of stables that are across the road from the racecourse that David Throsby hmm. Built when 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 Albert worked for David Throsby across mm. near the coal stores.
0: Yeah, you spent some time later riding work for Harold Baldwin, the late Harold Baldwin at Merrywar in the Hunter Valley.
1: I did, yes, I did. I lived with him and his wife Judy, and um, and looked after you know all his racehorses. He sort of had between ten and twelve racehorses up there,
2: mm.
1: and um, we travelled around and came down to the coast. Quite often, if we had one that was good enough to come down and race around here in Sydney. Mm. So, yes, I did go up there for a short time, but homesickness brought me back home to the central coast.
0: Mm. Kyle, when did you last sit on a horse?
1: Uh, a couple of days ago.
0: Oh, see, still riding. <laughs> what do you go, into the show ring?
1: Uh, I don't show anymore. I always said, when I, I think when I turned about 45, that I'd... My backside and never see a pair of jodpers again, so it hasn't. But I still I still have a horse up here that I ride with Skye. Good on you. And um, when she doesn't, she's in her last year sort of of school, so mm. when she doesn't get a chance, I'll hop on her horse and work it for her and that sort of thing to keep it fit. So, mm. yeah, no, I still enjoy it as much as ever.
0: Now you just have a
1: few more aches and pains after it.
0: Of course you do. You're telling me Sky is just starting to ride a bit of track work but long-term, she's looking at other horizons.
1: Yes, yeah. No, I've um, – not that I, I haven't tried to keep her away from it, but she sees the long hours and she's always said, I'm not going to work as hard as you did, Mum. <laughs> so she's um, very smart So she's and works very hard at it. So mm. she's, she's thinking about veterinary if she can get into it. Oh, good. Um, but in all things, you know, you have to earn money and that sort of thing. So we thought rather than if she goes to uni – Rather than go and work in a club, you know, in the night time to try and earn a quid while Mm. you're studying, she's better off. She gets up and goes and rides a bit of work. Mm. So that's our idea on on where that comes from. And she has a she has a a love of the animal, um, so she enjoys you know all the veterinary type side of it. And as you know, when you're a trainer, there's a lot of things you have to learn to do yourself, Mm. um, because you can't afford to get the vet all the time.
0: (laughs) Exactly, that's dead right. Your pregnancy with Skye came like a bolt out of the blue, Kylie, which may be the reason you called her Skye. You were a very late starter.
1: Yeah, I was 40 (laughs) and um, not sort of life had sort of been planned a a different way, I suppose. I couldn't have children, so that's how we were just going to, you know, go along and and Mm. do, we thought, oh, we'd do another couple more years at sort of work and then maybe shoot off and travel a bit. Mm. And then, lo no and behold, my father passed away and then um, he was my best mate. So, he, you know, we built the stables together and everything. So anyway, when he passed away, I fell pregnant. And so therefore, I think he went to make room for her. Maybe that was a deal he made, which is something that he would have done. Mm. So um, he always thought having a pup would settle me down because we bred dogs for a while and he always reckoned when. Mm. You know, the bitch was a bit mad, you <laughs> settle it down with a pop. So yeah. anyway, so I was blessed enough to, to have Sky.
0: Ah, beautiful. So. Now, mm. Skye's dad and your husband is Terry Regan, who achieved a very high profile in the 1980s as a rugby league forward. It all started for Terry when he was named Country Player of the Year in 1981, and that led to three stints with Sydney clubs – he played nineteen games with the Tigers. He played thirty-one with Eastern Suburbs, thirty-two with the Canberra Raiders, and later he played a full season with the famous English club Hull.
1: Yes, he did. Yeah, he probably should have played more games, but I think he spent a fair bit of time on the sideline. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he was—he um,
1: yeah. was of the old school of the bend Arden the rules a bit. <laughs> and, well, not in bend the rules. They were sent out to do a job they were Mm. given a job to do when they went out and did it and he enjoyed Mm. doing just that so yeah he did spend quite a bit of time on the sideline
0: Terry played the last 20 minutes for the Raiders against Manly Warringah in the 1987 grand final Manly won of course but Terry got some great dinner party material out of that one
1: yeah he did well that was a bit of a he had played the full 80 minutes in all the lead up matches but they didn't have managers in those days and, and none of the footballers were well-educated rocket scientists. <laughs> so in his contract was put that if he didn't play in the first amount of time of the of the he, he didn't get payment. Yeah. See? So that's how he was kept off until the time that was on his contract and then he played the rest of the game. Mm. But if he'd actually been in the run on, then it would have cost him an extra, you know, I don't know, 17000 or something, which in those days was quite a bit of money.
0: Oh, would. Not when- like it is now. When his playing career finished in Sydney, he became captain coach of a Central Coast club and that's when you met him.
1: Yes, that's right. Where did that's you meet? right. Where did you meet? Um, at a hotel at Woi that I actually trained for the um, – I trained for the people that owned the hotel. Mm-hmm. And so I used to go down there and um, – You know, and and sort of socialise with them and talk to them about the horses and that sort of thing. Mm. And, yeah, he was working – he was actually working behind the bar there while Mm. he wasn't wasn't playing football.
0: Goodness me. And he swept you off your feet.
1: Oh, I don't know whether it was that. I think (laughs) we could tolerate each other. Neither is (laughs) the real easy to live with.
0: (laughs) Hey, one of your earliest supporters was a great friend of mine, the late Harry Lawton. Fittingly yeah, described was. as the father of syndication. Harry died in 2009, Kylie, after having completed 1,100 syndicates, which brought 700 winners and 11 Group Ones. Harry first employed you to work on difficult horses that he'd purchased at the yearling sales. He came out of the blue, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he came
1: out of the blue. Um, he was. Um, not like the syndicators now he didn't spend big money but he was able to buy really good quality and and sort of bread and butter horses that mm. that the that, that the normal people could go into you know not not you didn't have to be a multi-millionaire to buy a share in it
2: mm.
1: he never he never um how shall i say he never pumped the price up any more than he had to for his no. advertising and for you know one day we sat down and you know and he explained to me what you know the the TV advertising costs and the and the paper and the whatever, yeah. you know and and the costs were a lot more than people
0: realized. Knew yeah,
1: or, you know realized and mm. you know so the make for that him and Pam were making w- wasn't as big as everybody thought. You know,
0: no, no, know. Oh, he was completely yeah. transparent.
1: Yes, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, I met some I'd um, not only lifelong clients through him but you know lifelong friends, mm. um, which is amazing in this industry.
0: One by one, Harry started to put a racehorse or two your way and you were pretty tickled about that.
1: I was. He, um, he started off, well, I, I got a bit of a name um, for doing horses with bad legs and getting them back to the track and back to winning. Mm. And so we got a few um, passed on to us that weren't, that had injury issues and we had, you know, quite a bit of success with Harry and so then – you know, he actually started to, um, you know, to sling horses my
0: way. Mm. Your favourite Harry Lawton horse was Mastery, a son of bureaucracy, and you did a mighty job with him, Kylie. 11 wins, 16 placings, and six of those wins were on city tracks. You can't do much better than that.
1: No, no, that's right, and and he did a lot of it um, with apprentices on board because he was so high up in the weights Mm. and he gave a lot of the young apprentices – he was a, a good horse for an apprentice to, to ride, mm. and so he gave them, you know, like wings in town, like right back to Hugh Bowman, and, you know, like they were riding him and winning on him in town. Mm. Cameron Swan, you know, who's now, you know, one of Chris Chris Lee's foremans. And yeah. yeah, so he gave a lot of kids a good start, and he was an amazing, amazing horse and um, and did it all um, after having a torn suspensory before I even got him.
0: Mm-hmm. Another very handy one you trained for for a Harry Lawton syndicate was Treasury. You won six with him, two at Rose Hill, ridden by Brent Stanley, who's now training, and Rodney Quinn, who is now a jockey mentor with Racing New South Wales.
1: Yeah, I had lots of. I was lucky to have lots of good jockeys sort of back then. Brent was a. We won a lot of races together, Brent and I. Um, Mm. He's a fantastic jockey and a and a fantastic guy. Mm. Um. So, um, him and his wife Paris were, were good friends. You know, we're always good friends of ours. And um, he always rode exactly to instructions. And Treasury was a fantastic horse because you could really, you could really set a plan for him, and the plan would come off. You know, he would um, he he sort of had a. Uh, you had to have a few runs before things. You know, to get himself exactly fit and exact. But the one you said, if you go this one and this one, he'll go into that one and win, and he just about did all the time. Mm. So he was, um, he was a great horse for me, for an owner that I got through Harry called Siro Yamashita, who yep. was in bureaucracy, mm. and he, he owned and bred him.
0: Kylie just gets you to stand by for a moment. We'll clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll be back with Kylie Gavinlock after this. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 Thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitavite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitavite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitavite.com or follow the Mitavite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitavite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. One of your very early winners was a little black mare called Jen's Halo who didn't last long. She had only 17 starts, two wins, and both of those wins were two-year-old races at Randwick. And just to give you an idea of how far back we're going, Terry Duckett was the jockey. Yeah,
1: back then Toby rode a lot of horses for me and a lot of winners for me. Um Jen Taylor was owned by a, a fantastic man who um, put a lot of horses my way in the early days, mm. starting off as a as a pre train I was pre training for him, um, for another trainer that he had, and then I ended up training for him called John Lever. Mm. Um, is now John Lever from the Arrow Leave Syndicate um, with Arrowfield. But yeah, John was a, a fantastic, an absolute gentleman. It's funny, I I haven't met a lot of Johns in my life, but the half a dozen that I have, um, including you, are salt of the earth um, mm. and their their word is their absolute bond. Um, John Lever was like that and John Allen that I met through, um, Harry Lawton, he's another one that was exactly the absolute salt of the earth and no matter mm. what, if they said it, it was true.
0: Well, thank you, Kylie, and I'm going to move on before you embarrass me any further. Now, you were very chuffed in the early 1990s when John Massara got you to take a horse called Koshaf for one of his ownership groups. Lee Friedman had won a two-year-old race with the horse early on. You won three races with him later at Wyong and Gosford, but he had a few problems, didn't he? Yeah, he
1: was he was very, very crippled poor horse, um, but all he ever wanted to be his whole life was a racehorse. Um didn't matter. Um, I didn't get return to scale photos off him because Terry Duckett used to get off and lead him back, but he'd win by lengths, panels of fence. Mm. Um, and he just was he was tough. And as I said, then you know, the next day, even though he was so he was the first horse wanted to get to the track, mm. he just was a, an amazing to to this day. In all the years I've I've had anything to do with horses, I think I'm in awe of the animal, mm. I'm in awe of. Their strength, their toughness, their their kindness, their ability to get over to get over issues. If you know, if things are done right by them, they're an amazing animal. I mean, you see some of the injuries, and most of them they do to themselves. I have to say, mm. um, but to treat them is an honour. I can only imagine. I mean, I've got a child and you put a Band-Aid on her and it's screaming and carrying on like, an, you know, <laughs> and, um, whereas the horse doesn't. It, it just is a different animal. It's, um, it's an amazing animal.
0: Mm. Kylie, these are all the reasons I want to do a, a podcast with you because I knew that every word you were saying about horses was coming straight from the heart.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I absolutely. I love the animal, so I do it. So as I said, I'm in awe of the animal. There, um, I had you know some horses are so smart, and they're too smart for the humans that are mm. are trying to do things with them. Um, I trained a horse called Randiki, won quite a few races with him, um, and I think he was the smartest animal. Um, and it wasn't good sometimes. Don't get me wrong, but he just he kept you on your toes every. Moment that you were with him, and mm. you never walked away from his work, thinking, "I've got to think some, i got to think quicker than this, or better, or mm. trying get on his wavelength." And yeah, he was a different horse. The more you p- pushed him early stages in the race, he just put his hair up, his head up in the air, and went slower. Mm. But then he <laughs> would, you know, really find the line.
0: Maybe we and should have of, we should have said Shatak were up to you.
1: Oh, no, they did a magic job with him, and when they... the horse decides. When a horse decides something, you don't know the reasons why.
0: I wouldn't have thought you've been round long enough to have trained a blitchingly. but you did way back. You won a couple of races with a filly called London Lights, one at Canterbury with Malcolm yep. Johnston up and one at Wyong with Craig Carmody in the saddle.
2: Yes,
1: yes, yes, she was a lovely, a lovely black mare. She really was um, a beautiful animal, um, John Lever owned her. I was very lucky to get her, Terry Ryan, actually. She was originally bought for Terry Ryan um, and ended up coming up to me and, um, yeah, she was beautiful. So she was, and, yes, I am that old. I've been around quite a Yeah, sometimes it's a bit scary how long I've been around.
0: <laughs> well, here's another one. I wouldn't have thought you've been around long enough to have trained a vein, a mare called Vanity Club. With whom you oh, won yes. four wins, Kylie. What are your memories of Vanity Club?
1: Yeah, Vanity Club, um, she was a, a, a real speed machine. Um, she actually had a leg that was that badly bent that um, I think one race in Sydney, mm. they questioned me about, you know, they were worried about it. you know, Hitting if they race close at hitting another horse's leg, but she just was a speed machine. She just loved to run. She was another one of John Lever's mm. uh, beautiful, a beautiful mare, and was then bought by um, Charlotte Manuel that um, owns used to own Evergreen, um, not Evergreen. Um, uh, Bill's out at um, at at, Wa- at Boyle. Uh, Bell Thoroughbridge. And, uh, Yeah, and Mm -hmm. she ended up and not that long ago, um, rang me and told me she sent me photos of her because she had to have it put down at thirty-two. I think she was or something thirty-two or thirty-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, She was very yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. and looked really good to the end. She worked, you know, tirelessly to keep her well and that sort of thing. So, but yes, Mm.
0: there was another vain mare too, Kylie, by the name of Shaveen. You won three races with her, including a couple in town.
1: Yeah, Shimeen was a lovely. She was another one of John Levers that I ended up and um, I leased that off him after I raced it for a, for a little while and then I leased it for a group of, um, just a group of mates that were around him and wanted to get into a horse. And, um, yeah, she took them to great heights. They had a ball with her and mm-hmm. went from being first-time owners to winning in the city. And, and um, yeah, I suppose back then you thought it was just going to, you just keep getting lovely horses like this and keep winning races in town, but it, mm. it gets harder and harder and um, I didn't have clients that were going to the sales to, um, you know, to buy horses for me or, mm. you know, I've sort of never been to the sales and, you know, sort of had money to spend on something that I really wanted. But in saying that, you know, I've been blessed to have um, other owners sort of stick by me and mm. give me horses that they've bred or horses that have had that are lovely bred, that have mm. had trouble somewhere else and, you know, and um have given them to me to give a go to. So I've been, you know, l- unlucky on one hand and lucky on the other.
0: Of course. Zarouche was a handy one for you. Five wins, two in the city.
1: Yeah, he was. And I, I sort of I – bought, I bought him off John. John raced him for a while and then he wanted to sell him, so I bought him and we raced him on one in town and then some owners of mine – actually bought him back. So I sort of ended up with not owning him, owning him, and then not owning him but always training him.
2: Mm.
1: And he was a, a, you know, he was an honest horse and a trier. Mm. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, nice. And I used to have, back then I had um, uh, Josh Parr's dad, Stephen Parr, ride work for me um, and, and, and ride, you know, race ride for me as well. So, you know, we had a good team around us of riders and that sort of thing too.
0: Mm. I love the story of a grey Philly foal you spotted one day in a paddock. It was love at first sight. Was she still on her mother?
1: Uh, yeah, she was still on her mother. Um, mm. And I was sort of training for Ian Johnson then down at Finch's Crossing and used to go down there quite sort of regularly and, and watch. The first day I saw her take off across the paddock away from her mother and leave two other foals in their wake. I said, when that grave's ready, I'll, I'll lease that one off you for sure. Mm. and um, it used to be sort of a standing joke that every time I went down there, I'd remind him that, you know, he'd said yes when she was about probably a month old. Mm. Anyway, when it got close to the time for it, um, uh, my local doctor, Peter Coates, said I've got a group of um, my my daughter and and her group of, friend, of Ambos um, mm. are all interested in going into a horse, and I had a long-time client called Crawley who was looking at going, in. he was in – Horses before with Crafty Bow and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, another one of Harry's. Yeah. That got Harry brought into the industry who's still in it. Um, anyway, so I put, uh, uh, they wanted one straight away. And the only one I had, unfortunately, and fortunately, was Mary's Grace. So Mary's I'd Grace. Put, yeah. So I put them into her. So.
0: Yeah. Well, they had some yeah. fun. 27 starts, seven wins, five placings, $311,000. And one of those wins, Kyle, was a stakes race, the listed Mona Lisa at Wyom.
1: Yes, yeah, no, she was a fantastic, um, a fantastic mare. She was um, not the prettiest, not the prettiest by far, um, but we thought she was beautiful and she tried her hard at every time she went around. Mm. Um, Grant Buckley did a lot of riding on her and yeah. knew her like the back of his hand. Um, she was so fast out of the out of the barriers that one day at Hawkesbury when she won, um, they actually reckoned that she'd got a um, – she'd sort of – they tried to take it off us in a protest because she'd actually broken through the gate. Yeah. But when it was all sort of slowed down, um, yeah, we'd actually just – she was so fast out of them. Mm-hmm.
0: You also had Ratat tat in that Mona Lisa who was unplaced, but a week or two before the Mona Lisa – you actually quinella a race at Randwick with those two fillies, Mary's Grace and Ratatat Lash. That was a thrill?
1: Yeah, it, it was a thrill for a um, um, uh, for a small-time trainer um, to actually Quinella a Saturday race at Randwick is mm. a, a big thrill, uh, you know, a big thrill to us. Um, f- you know, for we don't have a lot of starters in town, so... When you have two, it's lovely to bar to go down there and go one, two. And mm. on the day at Ramwick, Ratatatlas was yeah. able to edge out Mary.
2: Mm.
1: And then two weeks later, where they both went into the Mona Lisa mm. and we got a heap of rain. So that just Mary didn't, she didn't care. She went on any any ground, whereas the other mayor used to hit herself real bad. And if it got mm. wet, she would really mm. hit herself badly. So um, Mary came out and won the Mona Lisa
0: you had one outstanding apprentice a few years ago who has gone on to become one of sydney's most popular jockeys
1: yeah josh parr mm. as I said earlier his father Steve rode work and race and race rides for me for mm. many years and a and a more honest and um, uh, loving guy you would never meet mm. um, he's a real fair income family man and um, and Josh was at St. Eddie's high school and He'd get off the bus coming past the end of the street every time the races was on. And <laughs> I, can, and,
0: I can see him now.
1: <laughs> and then he'd come, you know, some days and work in the stables and all he ever wanted to be was a mm. was a jockey. So he followed his dreams even though, you know, he had to do it quite tough and still does with his weight. Mm. Um, but he's put in the hard yards. He outrode sort of all his country claim that here with me on the coast and then Mm. Um, I said, well, now's your time to go. You know, you've outridden your country claiming that you've got to go to the Big Smoke. Yeah. And so with all the connections over the years that I had pre-trained for, you know, Gay and Snowdens and well, just about everybody in Sydney, so um, we chose together which one he would go to. On He went down to Gay's on a three-month loan so that we could then... Mm. Um, pick what was best for him after that, and he's just gone ahead in leaps and bounds. Oh,
0: he certainly has. He's ridden six or seven Group 1 winners now, and you won't meet a nicer bloke in the Australian racing industry. You've already mentioned Grant Buckley, Kylie. He rode a lot of winners for you. So did Andrew Gibbons. And going back a bit, Dale Spriggs was one of your favourites.
1: Yeah, Dale Spriggs, and now his son rides a few for me. So, Mm. um, black, but yeah, Dale rode a lot of... um, a lot of winners for me. We had a lot of luck together. So, you know, I've been blessed to be, you know, to um, to have got to know some really good people in the industry and mm. people that have have sort of stood by me. It's hard for the small trainers. Uh, sometimes if you leg one of the bigger boys on, I, I don't, you know, I, I just sort of feel that they don't, I don't know, they don't value your input as much as the blokes who know you do. Mm. That if you say you think this this horse's form might not be good, but I think It's ready to win.
2: Mm.
1: You know, the blokes that know, you sort of ride them accordingly or something. Anyway, it's just sort of worked out that way a lot of times for me.
0: Mm. You've got a horse in the camp by the name of Cream Rises, owned by John Singleton. He's only had five starts. Brilliant wins at Gosford and Wyong, one of them by five lengths. Beautifully bred by Fastnet Rock out of more strawberries, but uh, he's causing a bit of heartache at the moment, Kyle. He over-raced. He pulled hard in a race at Randwick on Saturday and I believe he was the victim and not the only one on the day either of heart arrhythmia.
1: Yes, yes, he was, unfortunately. We took him down there thinking that he would be very, very hard to beat um, and, yeah, and he um, he loomed like sort of he was going to come right into the race and then stopped and um, Nash mm. sort of pulled him up straight away and he was found to have uh, quite a severe heart arrhythmia.
2: Mm.
1: Um, it righted itself by, you know, by itself, which is a good thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, I suppose if anything, it's one of the better things. You think of all the other things when you're watching the race, and that happens, that could be worse, or could end him, or you know, that sort of thing. So we'll live to fight another battle. We've just got to, mm. um, you know, jump a few hoops now and um, and mm. get him back to the track. But it, as I say, that's one of the highs and lows. And I had. My daughter always straps him, and she was pretty heartbroken by it all yesterday. And oh, of course. And, and, um, but as I said to her, the thing is, he's still on the float. He's still going to be healthy, yeah. and we're bringing him home. So there's always oh. a positive whether your cup's half full or half empty.
0: Mm. Kylie, heart arrhythmia is an amazing phenomenon uh, with racehorses. Uh, you, you never know when it's going to happen. Most importantly, it may never happen again. And once they're over it, they're over it. It doesn't seem to affect them.
1: No. Well, the sm- he's absolutely. By the time we got home last night, he was good as gold, and this morning he's fine and happy and content and ate well. And so, yeah, it's it's quite a strange thing to um to even understand that you you know that you don't get any indications of it. You know, the horse can you know be working the house down like he had been, um, and then all of a sudden do that, and then. You know, you hear stories all the time of they then come out and win. Mm. So, um, hopefully, that's what he'll do.
0: You won a number of races for John Singleton recently with a mare called Wild About Her, who'd been with Chris Waller previously. You won five races with that mare, including one on the Kenzo track.
1: Yes, yeah, no, she was a um, yeah, she was a, she was a bit of wild gear, um, very tough mare. She had some real feet problems, um, which shortened her career. Um, I had her in the Gosford Cup a couple of years ago, and I thought she would just win. And she worked into the straight and hooked out like she normally did to let down
2: Mm.
1: and didn't let down. And when after the race, she pulled up and she had, like, obviously trodden on another horse's shoe or something in the race because Mm. And it had split her from the quarter, like from the – it had really split her foot open. Oh, dear. Um, And from then on, we just struggled. We just sort of struggled. We'd get everything right for a couple of runs, and then she'd have to have a long spell. Mm. So she's gone to stud now, and um, I'm sure she'll be a great Bruin mare because she was tough. She was Mm. tough as they came.
0: You must be a pretty good boss, you know. You've got a foreman, Adam Dowling, who's been with you for 23 years.
1: Yeah, he has. Yes, he's actually off on long service leave at the moment. Um, well deserved long service leave. Yeah, 23 years he's been with me. I've Had a few long time Adam Duggan, the horse trainer. He was my foreman before this Adam, and yeah. um, he was with me 15 years, and now he's out, you know, training, you know, really, really well on his own, mm. and um, you know, getting some nice horses around him and that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know whether it's a good boss or I've ended up with good staff, but either way, it yeah. works.
0: You've got the services of two very reliable work riders, James Smith and Robbie Wilcox. That's worth at least one good horse.
1: Yeah, probably more than one good horse, really, to have them turn up every day. They're both lightweight. Um, Jamie's very experienced. Um, Robbie's young but has come on in leaps and bounds and turned out a very good track work rider. Mm. Um, he he did start off and do his apprenticeship um and you know, sort of got into his apprenticeship, but the wasting and that sort of thing just sort of wasn't for him. So um he um just turned his hand to, you know, to being a track writer and as I said, I'm I'm blessed to have both of them and I've got also got the the help of a, another young girl, um Alina Skerritt, that mm. is um that is a jockey but doesn't get a lot of Opportunity, and she comes and rides for me too so I'm, I'm blessed all the way around
0: I can recall visiting your stables years ago for a, a Sky Channel program called Stable Visit and uh, you were very dedicated then and nothing's changed because you're driven by passion and uh, your love for racing is an undying one and your love of the thoroughbred even more so been great to catch up, Kyle, after such a long time, and thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning.
1: It's been lovely. Thanks, John. Thanks for
0: having me. Kylie Gavinlock, our special guest on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The English Bloodstock team believes the catalogue for the 2021 ready-to-race sale is the best ever. The amended date for the sale is Tuesday October 26, commencing at 11am. 185 two-year-olds have been catalogued by some of Australasia's most influential stallions with a number of exciting new sires represented. Most importantly, these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most capable breeze-up experts in the southern hemisphere. The Breeze Up sessions are in full swing in Australia and New Zealand and you can access a high quality video of each and every workout on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure you can make an assessment of tractability, attitude, action and potential ability of the two-year-olds of your choice. Over 400 individual winners have come from this sale since 2015 and between them They've accumulated more than $60 million in prize money. For your hard copy of the catalogue, email catalogue at or contact a member of the Inglis Bloodstock team on 9399 7999. Remember, the 2021 Inglis Ready to Race sale will be held on October 26th.